This episode of Kitchen Table Theology is brought to you by Jeff Cranston's new book, Your Greatest Adventure. When someone places their faith in Jesus Christ, it is the greatest, wisest, and best decision of their life and will pay dividends for all eternity. What happens after that decision has been made? Discover the answers to that question in Your Greatest Adventure. Learn more at jeffcranston.com. Welcome to the Kitchen Table Theology Podcast, where Pastor Jeff Cranston, along with our host, Jen Denton, We'll discuss biblical theology in an understandable way. You'll discover how to apply biblical truth to your life. Thanks for joining us at the table. Let's get started. Well, hello, friends, and welcome back to Kitchen Table Theology. I'm your host, Jen Denton. For the past 11 podcasts, we've been diving into the doctrine of the person of God. And on today's podcast, we'll wrap up our discussions about God's attributes as we talk and learn about the love of God. And here's a little heads up for you. We just can't fit this attribute of God's love into one podcast. So today's podcast will be part one of two back-to-back podcasts. So, Pastor Jeff... You're a big Charles Haddon, or some refer to C.H. Spurgeon fan, Mm -hmm. I believe. I think you've quoted him many a time. Yeah, he's (laughs) eminently quotable. Well, have you heard this really cool story about the day that Spurgeon was walking through the English countryside with a friend? Let's hear it. I don't know. Well, as they strolled along, the Prince of Preachers, as he was often referred to, noticed a barn, and above it was a weather vane on its roof. Mm -hmm. And at the top of the vane were the words, God is love. And Spurgeon remarked to his friend that he thought it was a rather inappropriate (laughs) place for such a message because weather vanes are changeable. He said, that's wrong. Weather vanes are changeable, but God's love is constant. And his friend was brave enough to disagree with him. I can see him saying that. (laughs) And said, I don't agree with you about those words, Charles. You misunderstood the meaning. The sign is indicating a truth that regardless of which way the wind blows, God is love. I see. Yeah, his friend got him on that one. That's that's good. (laughs) I love that story. That's a great story. I love it. With a very incredible truth. Yep. And God is love. And what a way to end this series of podcasts on God's attributes. I feel if we have to be ending on one of them, this is the greatest Mm -hmm. one, because don't really all other attributes just flow out of this one attribute? Yeah, I think they, I mean, they have to, don't they? Because, I mean, the Bible says God God is love. You know, when I was younger, and I'm guessing maybe you two, growing up in church, I had to memorize Bible verses. We had sword <laughs> drills. We had this. We had that. You know, you would get prizes in Sunday school. Uh, and any, any kid who ever has been there, we always loved 1 John 4, 8. <laughs> and I have to admit, it wasn't because of its meaning. It was because of its brevity. And 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. So we would memorize God is love and go, okay, well, that's one verse. We can, you know, tick that one <laughs> off the box. So we... we I definitely overlooked the magnitude of that verse, but I loved it because as far as memorization goes, it's only three monosyllables. (laughs) God is love. It's a great verse for many reasons. You are right. And I will also admit that I have often chosen memorization of verses (laughs) that are short in nature as an alumni of the Cedar Hills Baptist Christian School Bible Drill Team. Who was your mascot? 
I don't remember if we had oh, one. You're an alumni. Oh, you don't remember if you had. It's probably the Crusaders it, or probably the something, or something like, like that. that. Yeah. It was just for seventh and eighth grade. Oh. It was just well, a, it might, was a middle yeah. school component. But you got extra credit if you're part of the Bible drill team. Of course, so. you, why not? And of course, course you I needed the extra credit. <laughs> yeah. I had an A in the class, but I needed the extra credit. So I would always make sure that one of my verses was John one thirty five, which, as you know, is I have a feeling. I know <laughs> Jesus, Jesus wept. wept. Yeah. So unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately, we were both of the same mindset That's not good. there in the early days when it comes to brevity. <laughs> well, let's go from uh, our pathetic attempts at Bible memorization to this really great, incredibly awesome truth before us. Kitchen Table Theologians, you may recall uh, from earlier podcasts on the Trinity, if you missed any of those, you can go back and, and listen, obviously, but... When we, when we were uh, doing the podcast on the Trinity, we were talking about love and that love has always existed in the, in the Trinity from eternity past. And so what that, uh, what that was reminding us or what that was teaching us um, back in those earlier podcasts is that the love of God shows up as an inherent attribute of God. It's very simple, but it's incredibly profound. That God is love. And, you know, I think we've talked about this before, Jen, mm-hmm. on podcasts. Our word love, we have one word for love, uh, which really is, boy, we we could do with a few more. But mm. our word love signifies such a, uh, a variety of different things. And it's so difficult for us to grasp, grasp sometimes the meaning of the biblical words used mm. to speak of God's love. So I think the... the uh, New Testament Greek word, if most Christians, if they've heard of one, they would have heard of the word agape. Um, that's love in its highest, its fullest sense. It, it signifies a love that's very persistent. It's unrelenting love, and it's even stubborn type of love. It's, it's a love that will not let its object go at any cost. And then when we apply it to God, it speaks of his loving nature which leads him to expressions and acts of interest and loving care toward us, self-sacrifice, in behalf of the objects of his love, that's us. And God's love is selfless. And amazingly, it's extended even to those who do not respond to the expression of God when he loves us. So mm-hmm. let's, let's just put a little bit more meat on the bone here. The Old Testament word that most nearly expresses the meaning of agape is kased. I'm a little rusty on my Hebrew. I think I'm saying that right. <laughs> and it's really, that's the Old Testament Hebrew word. It's not often that, tra- that often translated love, but it's rendered in a variety of ways that reflect the features of love. So you've got mercy, loving kindness. There's, uh, it's sometimes translated kindness. It's translated goodness. So that word, too, is used of people's relationships with each other as well as their relationship with God. So if you take those two together, you take kased out of the Hebrew, agape out of the Greek, it really presents this beautifully vivid picture of the spontaneous, unmatched love of God demonstrated in His acts of mercy and blessing, poured out on the objects of his creation, us, even to those who 
sometimes refuse it. Mm. And as we read through the scriptures, we see this beauty unfold because we see different aspects of God's love. Sure. You know, one way that we readily see the love of God is the love that God the Father has for God the Son. How about elaborate on that for us? Yeah, that's, that's very simple. <laughs> there. Just a little bit. Well, every time we, you know, you talk about the father expressing his love to the son, these are, these are, this is a mystery. And that divine relationship that we, we, we know it's there, we know it exists, we read about it, we see it exhibited in scripture, but it really, in its totality, way beyond our, our, the scope of our human comprehension. Mm -hmm. And that, this, this applies to the eternal, an absolute relationship between the Father and the Son. We can't fully understand that relationship, but we do know whatever that relationship is in all of its fullness, it has existed throughout all eternity. And it's not a biological father-son relationship like we know a father-son relationship. Yet it's interesting when God uh, chose or desired to explain the relationship to us, he chose to use father-son terms because we could understand those. Mm -hmm. And the father-son relationships alluded to in the Old Testament, Psalm 2, for instance, but the New Testament accounts make it a lot more understandable. Christ uh, talked often of his father and their fellowship, and in his words, we can gain a lot of insight, uh, as much as we need to, really, into that divine mystery. For example, um, immediately after Jesus' baptism, when the Holy Spirit... You know, he came down the form of a dove rested in, resting upon Jesus, and the Father, you know, spoke. Um, the Father stated the Father-Son relationship in these words. He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we see that. We see the Father loving the Son, and then we quite often, as we learn of, read about the love of the Father toward us as human mm -hmm. beings. You know, doesn't the Bible teach us that God the Father loves all people? And am I drawing from the most well-known verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, when I say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So your question there, does the Bible teach us that God the Father loves all people? Um, I think most of us would say, well, of course, that's, of course. But let's make sure we understand our terms here, because as we often will tell children, words are important. Use your words, but words are really important. Mm -hmm. And when we read in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, those words, the world, uh, I think we assume that to mean all people, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, for mm -hmm. God so loved the world, we assume that to mean everyone, but... We, we really want to be very, very clear, and, and here's where theology and the study of Scripture becomes very important. The sense in which God is the Father of all people differs from the sense in which He is the Father of those who have accepted Him as the true and living God and Jesus Christ as His Son and our Savior. All right, you lost me. That was a mouthful, and I think it was important. <laughs> So can you say that again? <laughs> what did I say? Uh, yeah, we we you know we talk about well God's the Father of all people, and but there's a distinction we've got to make. It, you know the sense in which God the, the the Father or God is the Father. Now I'm confused. Now, now you've got me confused. <laughs> the sense in which God the Father 
or, or I'm sorry, let me God is up. the father that of God all. is the go. father of all people <laughs> is it's it's different in the sense from him being the father of those who have accepted him mm. as a true and living God and come to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, we're if you're a Christian, he is your heavenly father. Mm. You are brought into relationship with him through Jesus his son. He gives us the Holy Spirit. We're brought into a family relationship. Uh, that's different from when we talk about God being the Father of all people. Mm-hmm. In that sense, I think we're talking about the Creator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the, the Bible reveals to us that all people are included in God's desired plan of redemption. He, you know, All people are invited to all of the blessings that God wants us to have. All people are invited to salvation through Jesus. Uh, And it is mind-blowing, once you understand who we really are, to discover that God the Father loves us. I mean, just that alone should, Mm -hmm. you know, blow our minds. And not only He loves us, but Jesus Himself taught us that the Father loves us as much as He loves His Son. And that just doesn't seem possible to me, that the Father would love us as much as He loves His Son, Jesus. Well, have you ever heard that before? Yes, you but have? it's still hard to grasp. <laughs> I, well, I'm only asking you because a lot of people, as soon as you say that, even to even to Christians, and they've been walking with Jesus a long time, if you say, does God the Father love you as much as he loves Jesus? Mm-hmm. Well, no. Mm-hmm. I, I, mean, I think most of us would answer mm-hmm. no to that. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Well, of course he loves Jesus more. But that's not what Jesus told us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when, when you understand now what, um, what, what Jesus is saying, it's, it's right in our Bibles, in John 17, 23, and this verse comes out of what's often referred to as the high priestly prayer of Jesus, and that's a pretty long prayer there, a couple of chapters in John. Is that one you memorized for sword? Torture? I didn't memorize that one, no. <laughs> I didn't get caught on that, though, in uh, my ordination examination. They Did asked you? me where the Lord's Prayer was found, and I said, you know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. And they said, no, that's the disciples' prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17. Oh, so I got marked down on that, but they still ordained <laughs> me. But listen to what Jesus says. He says, I in them and you in me, you being God the Father, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even Mm -hmm. as you have loved me. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus right there says that God the Father is loving us as much as he's loved us. God, the Son, Jesus Christ. And any further proof we need really is found in in John 3.16 anyway. So in the context of God's love, we see that not only does God the Father love the Son, but the Father loves us so much that He sent His Son in spite of all our inherent sin to die a sacrificial death to bring us to salvation. And that, kitchen table theologians, that is true love. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's... Pull it all together a little bit. So the father loves his son, and he also, through his son, loves us. And that is the love of mm-hmm. God. 
So now let's take a few minutes and just share with us a little bit about how we see God's love manifested. You know, I think we can all think of ways, but theologically speaking, breaking that down for us into an understandable way, like we always do here on Kitchen Table Theology. Well, we try. We try to. <laughs> that, is the, that is the goal. How exactly does God show his love and how and where do we see that? Well, yeah, let's let's use that word manifested when, when you said that a second ago. Manifested. That, that's such a good word. Mm-hmm. And it to manifest something means to display something, to demonstrate something. So God shows his love in his benevolence toward all people. That's one way he manifests it. And, and Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, he says, God causes the sun to rise and rain to descend on the righteous and the unrighteous. Now, theologians refer to this as common grace, which we could say are non-redemptive favors, which are expressions of God's benevolent love that go indiscriminately to all people. Hmm. So I just have a feeling we should back up on that, too, a little bit. It reminds me of our podcast we did on grace. Yeah. Yeah. Well, common grace is the, the... the, the grace, the blessings, the benevolence that God bestows on all people, mm-hmm. whether they're in a right relationship through Jesus' his son mm-hmm. with him or not. So the rain falls on the unrighteous, the sun shines on the unrighteous, the unrighteous get wealthy, the unrighteous have good health. These, these are the common grace benefits of the love of God. And Much to the dismay of everybody. some. <laughs> Well, yeah, but that's and I think I think that's probably one of the ways that God you some of the ways God uses to draw people hmm. to himself. So this this common grace theologians call them non-redemptive favors. Hmm. They they don't have really anything to do with the redemption of mankind, but it's just because God's a good God and he loves the those objects of his creation. You know, people, animals, plants, flora, fauna. The what comes out of him toward us, in many cases, is really good stuff. Mm. Uh, you know. So anyway, that's one way. And and second, God's love, as we just mentioned, it displayed in the gift of His Son for the sins of the world. So maybe the the greatest way He's manifested His love simply the cross of Calvary. Mm-hmm. He didn't really ever need to do anything else. Mm. Uh, another way he manifests uh, is is making us as people, his children, bringing us into his family. First uh, John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. I mean, wow. Those are just three ways that God manifests mm-hmm. his love. Some of my most powerful moments in worship with our congregation are whenever we sing about being a child of God, mm. because there seems to be a general congregational just fall into yeah. that love. Well, these are some incredible truths we have covered today, kitchen table theologians, and ones for which we really are eternally grateful. So thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you won't miss next week's podcast, which is part two of God's love. And you are not going to want to miss this one because not only are we going to talk about the love of God, but we are also going to answer this question. If God loves people, all people, then why do we read in the Bible that God hated people? Pastor Jeff, where in the world are we going with that one? 
Yeah, you know, hearing you say that. <laughs> you get a little nervous. Sounded like this is not a good idea. Uh, well, we're going to roll up our sleeves a little bit, and we're going to grapple with something that sure feels like a big old contradiction in the character of God. The Bible, you know, you're reading along in the Old Testament, and you're just all happy, happy about the love of God. And all of a sudden, you see God, and he goes, okay, well, uh, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. You're like, wait a second, where'd that come from? So kitchen table theologians, we're going to tackle that. Uh, Join us next week. I'll be there. Well, I hope we both will be. (laughs) I'll be there, and Pastor Jeff will be there, and we hope that you will be too. And if you haven't subscribed to Kitchen Table Theology, what are you waiting for? Head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or whatever platform you're listening from, and click subscribe. Every week, we're posting resources online for your study and personal growth in God's Word. And subscribing makes sure that you don't miss a thing. If today's podcast has brought up a question or two, just shoot us an email at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. As a quick reminder, today's podcast has been brought to you by Pastor Jeff's new book, Your Greatest Adventure. You can purchase it from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and even walmart.com. You can learn more about Your Greatest Adventure at jeffcranston.com. I I hope that's right. I'm going to go on walmart.com. I've been told it's available on there. We've said it like three or four times at this point. I I probably should have verified that. Let's pull that up real quick before the next one. Well, hey, and we have a fun announcement to make, right? In our last podcast, we had a giveaway for our brand new Kitchen Table Theology mugs, which are so cute. Slash prize. Prize. I know. We argued about what it was. So maybe it is is a giveaway. It's a giveaway gift slash prize. Okay. Yeah. We we need to make a brand new word. It's a Kitchen Table Theology mug. It is. And it fits nicely in your hand. It's not too big, it's not too small. And it's It's also excellent for ice cream. No way. Did you already try that out? No, but I know one of my daughters will do that. (laughs) Right now, tonight. Well, hey, we have an announcement. We have a congratulations for our friend and listener, Matthew Weaver, out in Metairie, Louisiana, who will receive one of these brand spanking new Kitchen Table Theology with Jeff Cranston podcast. Very cute little logo. Thanks for listening, Matthew. Man, that's exciting. Appreciate you listening all the way out there in Louisiana. And we will get this shipped out to you very, very shortly. Are we going to pop a K-cup of Southern Pecan? We're going to pop a K-cup of Southern Pecan, 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 in there for you, buddy. All right. Thanks, guys. And we hope to see you next time right here on Kitchen Table Theology. You've been listening to the Kitchen Table Theology podcast with Jen Denton and Pastor Jeff Cranston. Join us next time for more insights into biblical truth. If you'd like to know more on today's topic, you can check out the show notes at jeffcranston.com. You can also email us at pastorjeff at lowcountrycc.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, would you consider leaving a rating and review on iTunes? We deeply appreciate your help in getting the word out. And be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or in your favorite podcasting app to continue this journey with us as we learn about and apply God's word to our lives. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time here at Kitchen Table Theology.